Abbey. <laughs> so, Simon. Hi, Mark. We're recording. We are live. We are live in front of a, 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 a packed, packed audience. audience. And, uh, you know, very uh, grateful to everyone for sparing time from their very busy schedules to uh, bear witness to this happening. And so, Simon, this happening, is... It's happening, Mark. It's, it's happening. So this is... What is it, Simon? I don't know. This it's is the your, impact narrative. This is your job. All oh, right, uh, the impact narrative where we normally just no, talk randomly the, about... The, the series episode number. Oh, uh, series two, about. episode nine. Is it? Ten, eight, eight. Nine was the one, sorry, the eighth episode was the one that was never broadcast because it was too good, right. wasn't it? And, and we just thought we'd blow with the rival shows off it's the, the, the air. for 30 years until... Yeah. Uh, All right then, so we'll say this is episode eight. And, and so what do we normally do in this programme, Simon? I've completely lost the plot right. mark. Yeah, well that's obvious. So we normally just talk over what's been going on in the world and uh, normally we uh, focus on our areas of expertise, but sometimes we stray into areas where we have no expertise whatever and we like just simply uh, no you've got considerable expertise oh we can do this now can't we because we're on air right that's that's it that's it done so where do we start simon in today's fun pack surely there's only one place to start oh, it's arsenal Brexit. No, that's last. No, 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 no. We're going to do this. We're going to get it done. Well, we're going to draw a line under it. All right then. Next episode. Okay. So, since the last right. time we spoke, last time we spoke, we wrapped up this show saying this is going to be really exciting. Next week, we're going to be live in front of a studio audience, and we're going to look at the fallout from the vote on Brexit vote, where mm. Parliament reclaims its sovereignty and and has a say. Hmm. So, how did that vote go? Uh, well, you know, I think we're still kind of uh, anticipating it. With a bit, It's one of those things that we want it to be pushed into the future as long as possible because once it's over, life just won't seem ever so exciting again. And so I think that Mrs May has done us a tremendous favour by delaying the vote because it means that we can still look forward to it rather than look back and say, we were there and will it ever, ever be as exciting again? Uh, but she upset an awful lot of people by doing this, yeah. particularly people in Parliament. She upset Jeremy Corbyn so much that he got very... Uh, I think we should dispense with this. He got very heated yesterday in uh, Prime Minister's Question Time. And um, uh, I just hope, for his sake, because obviously this programme wishes him well and all other politicians very well, I just hope that that meant something to the public, that the thing he got angriest about wasn't food banks or the state of... Uh, wages in the country, but the fact that Parliament's rights had been infringed by Mrs May. Um, I, I would, would maybe wonder that the public watching would have a different order of priorities. Quite possibly. And I just wonder whether, in fact, what he was doing was making sure he got a general cheer, because, of course, parliamentarians generally stick together when their rights are being trampled on. Hmm. So he could have got a cheer from everyone. It's the one thing that would make him feel popular. Did he? Not really. It was the worst performance that he's ever done. At, uh, in right. fact, it was obviously a thinly concealed agenda to make Theresa May look good, to keep her in power as off well, power, oh, wrong word, uh, keep her in position uh, as long as possible. Well, we'll get onto that in a little bit, but I want to... Yeah, okay. sorry. We I haven't got other better things to talk about. I'm to talk about this, but... Mm. So, on, on Monday, she cancelled the vote. She did. Was it that long ago? It okay. Was. It, 
that's the end of it. Look, we could festoon it around there. Probably it's getting in the way of my general my gesticulation. Yeah. So that was that was suspended, postponed. Postponed. Yeah. Cancelled. Kicked into the long canned. grass. Mm. And then someone picked up a mace. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> a mace. <laughs> what? 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 Well, yeah, but it's been done, been there. But As I was saying to the, the, some people turned up for my lecture this morning, even amazing. though it was kind of semi-cancelled, and we talked about this, and of course Michael Heseltine did it with a lot more gusto in the 1970s. He did. Um, and they've got a checklist of stunts to perform in the House of Commons, right. and somebody said, oh, nobody's wielded the mace for 25, 30 years, so okay. let's do it. So what's the next stunt that we can expect? Um, festooning the speaker in Ivy or something. <laughs> right. Well, that was the other thing that was interesting on Monday when it sort of descended into a, a parliamentary debate that that Mr. Burko mm. tried marking his territory and he was very, very vocal in his criticism of yeah. the Prime Minister. And yeah. It seems somewhat bizarre that only a week after being held in contempt of Parliament mm. that she take this decision. So, I mean, she took it, obviously, she was worried about losing. Mm, possibly. No, as I say, she just wanted to delay it. And so, anticipation is always better than the actual performance. The but anyway, uh, you know, I mean, everyone knows she holds Parliament. It's hardly news, is it? Because uh, she didn't want Parliament to vote on it at all in the first place. Mm. And this is what the executive does. It's not personal to Theresa May. It's just what prime ministers do. They tell, you know, they allow a vote usually uh, when they have no alternative. It's far easier. Well, you know, I guess. pesky parliamentarians voting, they might vote in an inconvenient way. So you kind of use your, the, the, the prerogatives at your disposal to make sure they never, uh, you know, cause trouble. So yeah, that, that was per- that, that's a long time ago, are you? I think of Churchill, his, his argument against, um, against democracy was an argument with the average voter. So what you're saying is that for Prime Ministers, the argument against Parliament is a discussion with the average parliamentarian. Well, of course. I mean, look what they do when they get a chance to vote. They yeah. do all sorts of idiotic things like, which bring the country to, into... Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, so that happened. There and was that. Yeah, lots of things have happened. there was a, uh, a submission of, of... How many letters was it in the end? Um, oh, I'm not sure what the tally is. So, I mean, Charlie will know because he wrote most of them. Um, <laughs> But, um, well, I mean, all we need is a magic figure of 48 turkeys voting for Christmas. Submitted to the 1922 committee. They did. My old college friend, Sir Graham Brady. Really? What colour hair was his when yours was pink? Um, Well, sort of brown, really. Mm. He was was always going to be a Conservative MP. He didn't dye his hair. He refused to dye his hair purple. It was about that shit. It was that bubble pink. But um, yes, yes. So uh, they triggered the the, uh, vote of confidence. And I think in the end, probably people lost patience with Mrs May because of the journeys that she was undertaking to try and get cosmetic changes to a deal which isn't going to be changed. So... I was listening to the radio the day after. So when the news broke about her being um, having to face a vote of no confidence, obviously the, the radio, the media outlets were pretty furious. They were mm. incandescent, Yeah, I think. This isn't a position that we are holding, of course. Oh, no. Well, no, but, but it was... Uh, it was Reflecting on. Yeah, I mean, it... Um, uh, it may be seen in some quarters to have been a bit of a distraction from because it prevented the Prime Minister from going over to have a pointless conversation in Ireland. Hmm. Her pointless conversation itinerary was thrown utterly by this rude intervention. 
but speaking or listening to, to these... Her air miles, miles will be reduced uh, correspondingly. So speaking to this... But her carbon footprint will also be... Exactly, so, so thank goodness, Mr. Rees-Mogg. Actually, I was going to go cut to Mr. Rees-Mogg, because we, we usually talk about the blonde one rather no. than him. Uh, and uh, I heard uh, some members of the audience talking before about Mr. Rees-Mogg's attempt to spin the results, because let's cut to the result. We, we're doing too much detail. I want to talk about all your stuff. So there was a vote, and it was 200 to 117 in the uh, final analysis. And Mr. Rees-Mogg was immediately on various media outlets saying that, um, okay, maybe it looked like uh, a convincing victory, but you've got to remember that most of the people who voted for Mrs. May are on the payroll. They're the <coughs> payroll vote. And that means that, in fact, all the brave people in the back benches who could speak their mind, the ones who were able to speak their minds, voted against her. So therefore, in fact... Mrs May lost and we should now have a leadership uh, contest. <clears throat> now the interesting thing about that, because immediately people were saying, well this is a more decisive vote than the vote that was held in 2016 or whatever, which we dimly remember, uh, to which Mr Rees-Mogg's answer was, if you look at it really in all its complexity, she's damaged beyond repair, you know, she can't claim it was a decisive victory. 52% to 48% is a decisive victory, but 60-odd percent is a... That it's just be my question. What is a too close to victory? Cool. But let me look at this. In, this is what I'm just saying that, you know, if you are a student of politics... You can immediately, you know, anyone who's got incipient re-smogism, I'm not looking at anyone in particular, uh, should find their, their antidote right now. Because the first thing to say is that if there are, there are a large number of people wanting Mrs May to stay who are in the government service in one way or another, and their vote could be seen as tainted... The 117 include an awful lot of people who were in the government service but have subsequently either resigned or been fired, in which case you could say that they were somewhat biased against Mrs May. And all the other ones are people like the aforementioned Rhys Mogg, who would like to be in the government service, but because he couldn't organise you know, the proverbial in a proverbial, um, will never be summoned to that particular role. So in other words, in fact, if he's saying that the people who voted for Mrs May were biased because of their position, exactly the same can be said of the people who voted against Mrs May. Um, but then if you uh, uh, go beyond that, you will see that um, uh, the referendum campaign was conducted against a background where the press was 82% in favour of leave, only 18% uh, in favour of remain and it took place whereas the people who voted in the conservative leadership election are people who usually have a pretty calculated view of everything and the possible consequences as we know the referendum was 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 conducted before an electorate which by its own estimation was ill-informed on europe so in other words if he's saying that the May vote should be cast into a bit of doubt because the electorate was in some way or another voting with vested interests or whatever, then the fact that the referendum was decided by people who didn't really know very much about the issues on all sides and were presented with information which was somewhat biased... Then, I mean, basically what he's saying is that no election could ever be... Uh, the only thing, the only contest in history which has actually been perfectly um, valid 
is the referendum debate. All the other ones, all the leadership contests that have been held by the Conservative Party were tainted because some of the people who voted had vested interest in right. the result. Um, so is he anti-democracy? No, no, he's in favour of democracy, but like all of us, when it produces the result that uh, of course, of course. that, that so he wants. I have, I have two, quest uh, two questions relating to Brexit, and then we can move on. Okay, good. One, where does this leave Mrs May? The, the, you look at the front pages of mm. the various newspapers, across the spectrum, you go from, now let me get on with the job, mm. to lame duck for Christmas. Where is she? What's going to happen? We know she's not standing, leading mm. the party into the next election. Mm. So We knew that anyway. Well, yeah, we did. Mm. Um, and surely those, those yeah. Conservative MPs knew that as well. So Yeah. So uh, well, the thing is, it would seem that, um, I mean, we'll look at the opinion polls, see whether her popularity has increased, because I think a lot of people will have felt a bit of sympathy for her, but it, it doesn't change anything, does it? Uh, it um, uh, leaves her with a deal which she won't be able to sell to the... Um, the House of Commons and there's, you know, I was saying just the other day something big has got to happen to break the logjam something big happened it was never going to break the logjam so is that and wasn't so, big enough? Um, well I mean uh, no it was the wrong big thing that happened right. I mean the, the, I, I would I don't know uh, This is anyone's guess is as good as mine but it would seem now more and more difficult to envisage Parliament allowing the Brexit deadline, the, the 29th of March, for, for that to be uh, the real deadline. In other words, I would think that somebody is going to have to trigger the suspension of right. Article, because, I mean, we cannot, we cannot go into this very important period without Parliament having a some sort of a consensus and they're just going to have to I mean one thing that might happen I guess is that people might sway towards the Mrs May compromise as we get so close to the deadline but um, no, all the options are still on the table and all the reasons why you don't like any of those options are still on the table so nothing has changed nothing has changed whatsoever next one excellent um, how does this reflect on on other parties and figures in Parliament? Oh, well, we don't want to get started and intrude on private grief, but the Labour Party... We've, we've touched on this a couple of times in the past, but yeah. the, the leader of the opposition and the opposition more broadly seem mm. to be rather... What's the adjective to use? Well, I mean, well, Mr. Corbyn came, I was saying the other day, um, in the 1980s, Neil Kinnock called voter confidence in the government of Mrs Thatcher on a kind of hourly basis we had a no whole stream confidence. of no confidence yeah in the Not in the confidence. government of about they called for a vote of no confidence right sure in other words they were hoping to get a vote of no confidence and this uh, leader of the opposition seems allergic to the idea of a vote of no confidence unless he knows he's going to win in advance mm -hmm. and and we know that that's actually a very controversial position within the labor party if the job of opposition is to hold the government to account and they've been prevented from this is exactly the position where you don't have a vote on the terms of withdrawal because Mrs May has prevented it and you just you just say right I'm going to call a vote of no confidence if you don't let me have the vote on the terms I'm going to call a vote of no confidence and possibly you lose but you are doing your job as an opposition you're trying to hold the government to account instead they're saying we're only going to hold the government to account when we know we're going to get a general election out of it yeah, it um, seems to me that the only real opposition, the, the only real vocal and credible opposition is coming from the Scottish National Party. Yeah, well, quite. 
Because, I mean, they've got a straightforward position and they have got a mandate because there was an overwhelming vote in favour of Remain. And, and so they're making their political capital. Everyone is trying to make political capital out of this, except, you might say, Theresa May, because she knows that she's not going to stay beyond Brexit. She is a lame duck. Well, she is, but she is, you know, saying, to, again, to my uh, very sparsely attended lecture earlier, that she is that most dangerous of persons, people. She takes the idea of public service to an extent where, where it becomes masochism. Mm. And, uh, you know, she'll keep on... But every, everyone else is trying to get some kind of party political or personal gain out of this. And it does happen to be, I think, quite an important national so I think crisis. What you're, what you're saying, Mark, if I can boil this down and make it coherent for more of the same yeah absolutely yeah yeah just um, so we have three more months of this yeah and it was the, the finally on this it was the worst possible result I was on a media thing an inferior media thing uh, just before the um voting started and, and they said what do you think the vote the result will be and I said anything less than 200 and she's going to almost certainly be asked to step aside even if she wins for the sake of the party and lo and behold she got the minimum number that was survivable yeah. and 117 is devastating Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as they're upstanding patriots who aren't on the payroll and therefore you know, the weight of their sheer integrity and intelligence that Jacob Rees-Mogg he should have had 150 votes on, on his own really because he is um, a man without any personal ambition and simply tells the public the truth upstanding uh, awkward though it may be Oh, he is. I mean, he's a shining light in, in a, a really a, 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 a field of darkness. He's like, you know, that gleaming beacon on a hill which, without whom, the entertainment industry would be much the poorer. So, Simon, what else has been happening? It's, it's just let's, log jam and it's going yeah, to keep on going. So let's move this. to time, Tide it's, Times. Mark, spoiler alert, please. No, that's later, is it? Right, anyway, so what's been going on outside? Because that's the other thing. The final thing to say, anyone who's doing the course Britain in the World will have noticed that the stock market went up yesterday at the height of uncertainty about what Mm. Mrs May... And the reason was that there seems to be more of a chance of a deal between China and the US to settle their trade dispute. So in other words, the British stock market, which should have gone down three or four percentage points, actually went up, which proves that all these people who go on about independence and making our own decisions, uh, really all they needed to do was to watch the stock market and realise that things that happen outside Britain are far more important to the world and to Britain than things that go on inside it. But the, the Conservative politicians get loads of interview requests and really enjoy themselves and think the world revolves around them. But in fact, one or two of them think the world revolves around them anyway. And I have mentioned one of those people Who already. Knew? Yeah. It's a bit of a trend. Crazy. Anyway, anyway right. You interrupted me. I did. Would you like a mince pie? No. Next question. Are you sure you wouldn't like a mince pie? Um, but it's too early for me to eat. I eat when all my, when, I, when you know, when, yeah. I, when yeah. Well, I know what you're actually saying, but we won't yeah. say that on air. Eating is is a waste of time. It is. So let's go back to reviewing the year then. Smoking isn't a waste of time. It's not been a particularly happy, cheery year. It's been one of mm. those dark, gloomy years that we seem to have been having for. Yeah, amidst which the gleaming presence of Jacob Rees-Mogg is is a a welcome contrast. It has been very gloomy, and this is why you're going to talk about all your stuff. Well, briefly, because it's pretty dark and gloomy, and I just want to say a couple of things about war, 
really. Okay, you're against uh, it. I am. What is it good for? Mm. He's buried in Nottingham, you know. See? He is. Oh, What's he called? Edwin Starr, was it? Something mm. he did it originally. I was expecting the next line, but... What is it good for? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Nobody knows. Nobody's got an idea what we're talking about. No, not a clue. Maybe what we should do to end this. Do you remember how we played Taylor Swift for you? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should play um, Edwin Starr. Okay, well, yeah. But you maybe, you got uh, the facilities at your fingertips. Right, so how do you review it? The Yemen Civil Wars? Well, the thing that, that strikes me is that there's... Maybe it's a <coughs> media cycle thing. But... <coughs> There's been a, a move, a shift, away from events in Syria uh-huh. to events in Yemen. Mm. If you'd have gone up sort of six, eight months ago, mm. it would have been all Syria and no Yemen. Yeah. But no, Syria, the conflict in Syria is still it's, happening. Yeah. It's still taking place. There are still massacres on a devastating scale taking place across the country. Assad is still responsible for killing hundreds of thousands of his own people. Hmm. And yet we're talking about the actions of a um, rather self-indulgent parliamentarian from mm. the constituency in the South. Not mm. the fact that earlier this, this week there was a report that came out that said that 560,000 people have died in the Syrian conflict. In seven years of fighting, mm. over half a million people have died. And millions and millions have been displaced. I'm banging a drum, Mark. I've been banging this drum for a while, but it's just... It, it seems absolutely shocking that, that mm. there is still no resolution to this conflict in Syria. But it may be there's no resolution because there's no resolution to be found, a bit like Brexit. Well, perhaps. Um, I think that there are, there are ways around this. Right. And I, I have shared ideas elsewhere. And now isn't the time to, to lay out my, my peace deal for Syria. But I also want to just stress events in Yemen. Hmm. And there was a story this week from, um, it was shared by a friend of mine on Twitter, and, and he talked about how people in Yemen are committing suicide because they are worried about starving to death. Mm. They're choosing to take their own lives mm. because they don't want to lose that agency mm. and starve to death. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It's absolutely devastating. But there is progress is, in Yemen, though, isn't there? At least there are discussions taking place. There are discussions taking place. And I found that out from uh, TRT or something the other day when I was because the, the, their, their news story had that they had that about third or fourth item on the news. You say that Yemen has taken the place of Syria. Well, it hasn't taken a very prominent place no, it because hasn't. it's not high on our news. No. Uh, none, none of these things because these are issues. It, and again, this is a reflection of the tacit understanding that Britain's place in the world is no longer what it used to be, because otherwise there would be this demand for us to do something about it. Yeah. Um, it's a common theme we've been discussing in, in our book, but also in, in this show. But, I mean, just think about the scale of, of devastation mm. in Yemen. We talked about 560,000 people dying in Syria, millions being displaced millions left homeless, millions being um, refugees, Mm. and the devastating uh, impact on infrastructure, mental health, physical health, not counted in those statistics. Mm. But in Yemen, there's an estimated 8 million people who were in dire need of medical assistance, in dire need of food. Further 18 million who were still in need of food. Mm. Not quite as dire need, but in need. 
and there is conflict taking place in Hodeida, the port where all of the aid gets in. Yeah. Something has to be done here. Mm. This is something we've been talking about for the best part of a year now on this show, and yeah. and very little has happened mm. other than thousands of people dying. And it's but also we are still on friendly terms with the people who are causing this devastation. Which is somewhat surprising given what happened with the. Uh, the tragic case of Jamal Khashoggi. Mm. I was reviewing a book for the LSE blog series, ah. and it's a book that I wasn't particularly impressed with, as you will probably see in the review. But towards the end of it, um, the, the author mentions Jamal Khashoggi within the context of, uh, of rising totalitarianism mm. in Saudi Arabia. His words, right. it was pre assassination of Hashem. Right. <laughs> and it was it was so dark and so hard hitting mm-hmm. to read this with the knowledge that since writing yeah, Shoji yeah. has been Yeah, disposed of, should we say. By one of our key allies. Aye. And again, it's one of those things. We've been talking about it for a while now. Mm-hmm. How do you square the circle of national interest? And that was a phrase used by a number of people on the on the radio last night. Mm. This is in the national interest. Yeah. It's how do you square this national interest with more, surely, surely more serious humanitarian concerns. Mm-hmm. The, the case of Rwanda, the case of mm-hmm. um, the genocide more broadly, resulted in people saying never again. This cannot happen again in our lifetime. We cannot let this happen. Mm. And it's happening. Time. But again, that's a key point. We cannot let this happen. It doesn't really matter what we as a nation... Well, sorry, we as in the international community. The international community, yeah. Um, No, it does seem that there's been a darker... There's been a shift. There have been, should we say, you know, when George Bush uh, talked about... George W. talked about an axis of evil, Mm. then he could identify one or two or three... uh, Countries and one or two of those might be questionable, but now it's more than you know. So many regimes seem to have turned towards gangsterism and basically just acting as if there was no moral code at all. Um, the rules of the game have been discarded, and that yeah, that means that that's more the last more two or three years are going to push the boundaries of what's yeah. acceptable and what's not. Yeah, which will mean there will be more instances like Hashoji, more instances like uh, Matthew Hedges, the Durham PhD student. Yeah. This will become more and more commonplace where regimes think they can get away with this because there is no comeback. Yeah. There is impunity for these actions. And it's, it's abhorrent and deeply, mm. deeply worrying. Mark, I want to move on because I want to talk about my book of the week. Right, okay, good. That's the next item. and I, I winced when I saw that because I see that in every charity shop. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. I picked it up for um, a pound. You were robbed. Well, it's deeply, deeply depressing. Oh, good. Right, please, let me uh, seize uh, it. Yeah, it's it's a a rather terrifying account of what might have happened and what might happen if fascism gains prominence in the UK. Right, so it's a bit like um, Thingy's book um, about, what was it, Fatherland? It is, it yeah. is, but set in the UK. Far more original, right, okay. Oh, it's set in the UK, it's an interesting take, uh, set in the 1950s, the smog of London and... The re-smog of London. Yeah, exactly, so uh, it was just a... They were trying on Five Live to do Christmassy versions of people's names, did you hear that the I other day? And it was uh, Jacob Rees-Logg. 
which I thought was quite right. funny. Well, yeah, yeah, on a number of levels. Okay. Indeed, yeah. Um, Vince Cable. A log wouldn't have been happy with the comparison, no, but probably not. Vince Cable. Mm. Hmm. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll run with that one. I can't say. I mean, Vince Cable it always brings a laugh from the audience. He's yeah. still there. He He's is. still there. There's another leader who. Uh, you know, is um, perhaps on a short lease of life. Indeed. But anyway, you have a Not literally. Um, no. No. Right, okay. No, well, well no, because I've been too busy doing the proofs for my next um, magnum opus. Indeed, so, what's this one called? Well, yeah, because everything is so terrible now, you've got to go back to the distant past, and so it's called Titans, Fox versus Pitt. And, and it's about a little story of rivalry, political rivalry in the 18th century. Did it culminate in a Pistols at Dawn incident? Oh, there were two Pistols at Dawn incidents. Fox had a fought a duel and Pitt fought a duel, not with each other. But right. yeah, it was good when politicians actually squared up within a few paces of each other and fired. And what normally happened was that they sort of aimed at limbs rather than trying to kill, usually. Mm. Um, and then when their opponent is fired and you're satisfied you're not going to die, you fire your own pistol in the air to show how incredibly brave. And then at the end of it, you embrace your opponent and you retire to the pub together. Right. That, that's how things were conducted in, in the good old days. Way. Although, of course, Alexander Hamilton, at virtually the same mm. time, um, uh, with Aaron Burr, um, was killed. Was. But um, yeah, it was a far more gentle day, uh, uh-huh. the 18th century. I mean, you know, the French Revolution, poof, a mere bagatelle, mass murder for political Indeed. reasons. Uh, but there are loads of, there are actually loads of parallels in this book, which isn't available in any good bookshops because it's coming out next year. Lots of parallels. Um, no, were you free tonight? Um, oh, no, it's it's March. It's, it's March. It's Brexit Day, so it's sales. Excellent. It'll go soaring up to the top of the charts, and then, of course, after March the 29th, nobody will be able to afford to buy a book anymore. So uh, after Brexit, which is actually one of the themes of this, is it? No, no, I didn't think so. But at least that, that'll always be available for 20p, and because people pick it up and they say, "Wow, this is a lot of uh, pages per penny." So it must be great value, and then they realise it's infinitely depressing. So they immediately give it back to the to a charity shop. Anyway, Mark, I'm glad that you're reading useful things, Simon. It's improving your mind and making you a much more sunny individual all round. It is. It is. Mm. Yeah. Um, Two things. One, Just in case the camera hasn't. What was the what was the thinking about Taylor Swift? Did you enjoy it? Uh, you I think Taylor thinking Swift? Taylor Swift does that does that belong in the same paragraph? Yes. It, um, I, it wasn't good. It wasn't I'm sorry good, to say. So those of you that, that missed it, there was uh, an episode. Oh yeah, those season, few of you that didn't. Uh, um, we uh, we were talking about Taylor Swift encouraging people to vote in the states in Tennessee, I believe. Is that where she's from, Ross? Maybe, right. And, uh, well, yeah, we, we came to the conclusion Mark had never heard Taylor Swift, so we played him some. Not knowingly, but I've been in loads of supermarkets where they play banal music, and so I'm sure I, I wouldn't be able to distinguish one There's from another. nothing banal about Taylor Swift. Right, okay, I'll take your word for it. But So, we have time for a few questions from the floor. I thought you were going to play another song. No, yeah, any questions later. about anything? Any we might cheery questions about 2018, only cheery ones. Or maybe not so cheery. This is where it goes silent. We have a question. Uh, do you think the um, kind of fear 
of Jeremy Corbyn and his kind of um, cabinet that a vote of no confidence would unite the Tories. Is it justified fear, or do you think the fact that you know the Tory backbenchers have been seen to be willing to literally bring their own government down proves that it wouldn't actually unify and it's kind of a false fear? Yeah, oh, certainly that isn't... Um, that I've heard people say that, but that isn't the consideration. I mean, I think the, the, uh, the consideration is that the Labour Party should only sit and watch and should do as little as possible, make as few policy pronouncements as possible, because the government is basically doing its the opposition's job. But that, that isn't true. The opposition's job is to oppose, not to watch while the government falls to pieces. There might well become a suspicion in people's mind that you aren't that bothered about the fate of the nation you're actually just bothered about whether you win the next election or not. If you sit back and watch a government fall apart, you're doing a disservice. You should say, I mean, OK, Jeremy Corbyn says this shambles of a government. That isn't holding the government to account. That's trying to say something which looks good when you get your people to put it on, what's the social network thing? But, you know, Facebook or something, on, rather. Mark, don't be coy. You've got Twitter. We all know you have Twitter. Yeah, but I'm having treatment for it. I'm having treatment for it. (laughs) Uh, Next question. Quick fire question, if there is one from the floor. This will look really good. Oh, good. What do you think? From the gentleman with the bow tie. What do you think that Michael Cohen's um, imprisonment and imprisonment will mean for the Trump administration? What do we think ah. the Cohen imprisonment will mean for the Trump administration? Um, well, um, yeah, I, neither of us are qualified to remotely to talk about this. But uh, I mean, it's, I think it's another nail, personally. Well, it's it's yeah, but the the big the mother of all nails is coming along later uh, because Cohen. I mean, I think it's more important what Cohen said to the special investigation, mm. uh, and it's pretty clear that he's done a deal which involves full disclosure. I mean, that that he's left no bodies and un- he's unearthed all of the bodies. You'd imagine. But again, yeah, I mean, the thing is that. It's a bit like the Corbyn dilemma, really, isn't it? Because they can start impeachment proceedings now in the House of Representatives, but uh, it won't they won't result in a guilty verdict until and unless. It's interesting that, um, I was talking earlier about the stock exchange, that the Dow, Dow Jones has lost all its gains over the year in the last two or three weeks because of Trump's position regarding China. So all the reasons why senators in particular might want to hang on to his coattails are disappearing. You know, there's talk, there was talk a few weeks ago, the American economy was almost growing too fast. And now the talk is that it's in fact in potential recession. So, you know, you're looking very hard now to find any sunny compensation for for Mr. Trump's, and, and it's that that's going to bring him. So, to answer my answer to the question would be: there's enough evidence already to impeach this guy. It would seem to me, and the reason it isn't happening is for political reasons. Just like there are loads and loads of people who have no confidence in Theresa May, but she's still in place for political reasons. I think Regrettable, just, but it true. Just has a, a more damning impact on on the state of American politics more broadly. There were few mm. uh, few people willing to go and work for the American government. There's few people willing to work with the Trump administration. Experts, academics, few people wanting to go into state, into other branches of government. People have no inclination to go and associate themselves with this administration, mm. and that it may seem like a, a rather 
sort of small thing, but you remove experts from this. You remove the people who are qualified to talk about all manner of things. Remove people qualified to do their job, and that will have an impact on how a government can run, about the decisions that it can mm. take, about the way in which institutions and uh, the, the yeah. organs of state can actually work. So it, mm. it will have a massive impact. But are you trying to imply that there was ever a point where Mr Trump would listen to experts? Uh, I'm trying to see He would go carefully looking for people who... Yeah, but there are experts need not apply in the first place. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, now they're being sucked. Yeah, well, we we had a visit from um, somebody who's working within the U.S. embassy about a year and a half ago, and I said, "Are you a bit worried about what's going to happen?" And he said, "Oh no," and he obviously did have a very valid view of the world and concerns in the right places and all this kind of. And I, I just wonder what's happened to people like that because, yeah, association with this regime, it's not so much that experts won't apply it's more like experts might leave yeah. and and yeah oh a devastating impact i think anyway mark we are more oh, more there's another question thank you so much for, uh, for your talk and um, you touched upon the situation in uh, syria and in yemen and in the middle east overall so how do you see the current situation going on in the, in the future um, not well, I'm afraid. I don't have high hopes for, for these things getting resolved in the, in the near future, I think. This is where states, as part of an international community, really have to come together and put pressure on all the various actors involved and, and really try and exert influence to say, you have to stop this. There's a vote in, in Congress, I think, today mm. uh, about Yemen. And I think it's things like that that can start to exert pressure on key allies across the region, key allies in the West who can turn to their allies in the region and say, you must stop this now. Saudi Arabia must stop. The Emirates must stop. There must be a de-escalation of violence in Yemen. That has to happen. And that will not happen unless there is a sustained amount of pressure put on those actors involved then you can really start to work about building peace, which is a challenge in and of itself, and will take time. It will take time to, to really take the sting out of this intractable conflict, the, the way in which divisions have been embedded and, and really uh, built into the fabric of these states. It's gonna take time to, to really unpack, just like we've seen with, with Northern Ireland. But I'll end this with a, a degree of optimism. When I was growing up, the Northern Ireland conflict was, was raging. Mm. And it was intractable, it was generational. There was little hope. Few thought that there could be a resolution of, of violence in Northern Ireland. And there was, of a kind. <laughs> it's still going on. Peace building is still taking place in Northern Ireland, across Belfast. It takes time, but it can happen. Mm. But the trouble with Northern Ireland is that all the people who might have some influence were people who were in favour of peace. Well, you know, so you have America and the EU, you know, helping the British to uh, find a peaceful solution, plus war weariness born of thirty years near enough of renewed conflict. Um, whereas these conflicts, they may be fairly 
long, la- well, very long lasting. But uh, compared to the, Nor- the Northern Ireland thing, lasted long enough for people to gradually the oxygen and for terrorism was um, drained. Whereas these are ongoing controversies which are fueled from outside. Mm. So, sorry to bring you down from no, your you, little shaft to, of light. To put a bit of positivity. Well, there is. There is. There's good news because the tide there is apparently. Good news because high tide is coming. It's exciting and no one knows what we're talking about or why. The tide is high. So, high tide is at 226. 246, Mark. That's a four, not a two. That one there. Oh, I see. Right. I, I was uh, doing the early uh, one. The early one that, that has been and gone. So anyone, so there's still time to get to Morecambe. There's time to get to Morecambe. You have, what, 50 minutes to get Just to Just lovely, the number two bus. There, there we go, it's, it's there, it's an opportunity, and, and then low tide. tide. It's, uh, oh, line 32, interesting. A little flashback to our days on local radio, Mark. Uh, it was a, a favourite, wasn't it? It was a favourite uh, item. It was, it it's the only thing ever, ever, anyone ever tuned in for, was no, to hear the tide was, times. Um, John Stuart Mill News. Is oh, there well. any? Uh, no. Right, okay. Anyway, we're out of time. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, uh, thank you very much for coming. Yeah, and uh, you. you've made it all into exactly the same as it usually is, but with a few questions at the end. And, and uh, suitably depressing as well as a consequence of your questions. So uh, thank you for bringing us down. And, and festive greetings to all. Indeed, and there's a couple of mince pies. For any of you who would like to take a mince pie before we get out of this room. Hmm. As usual, Mark, you need to say your little bit at the end. What do I say? Oh, yeah. Um, if you've, uh, you know, well, responded in one way or another to this programme, then respond by a mechanical electronic thing, which means clicking like or dislike or hate or Jacob Rees-Mogg or Spotify and what's the other thing? So it's on, it's available on... SoundCloud. SoundCloud. iTunes. iTunes. Spotify. YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. yeah. So it's all, you can watch it. A range of different platforms, different yeah. outlets for you to... You can keep watching it on different platforms until at some point it seems interesting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the... Again, that's my sunny optimism born of looking at the front cover of that book and knowing that I haven't wasted 50p on it. It's gone up now. Right. Inflation. Yeah, well, See, 20p. That's what's happened. Good. Right, let's leave it there, Mark. We Thank shall. Thank you very much.